0: All right, I'm here with Jack, and he knows his dedication time. Jack, what would you like to dedicate this episode to?
1: I think today we're going to go on a personal note. I'm going to dedicate it to my partner, Jamie, who, uh, in addition to helping on projects, she just puts up with so much. (laughs)
0: Everything and anything. I love it. Jack and Jamie. Sounds like a great sitcom. (laughs) Yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) Coming soon.
0: All right, (laughs) we'll start the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast with your host, Nick
0: pallotta Each episode, Nick interviews filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. I'm Carly Palillo, and thanks for listening, and thanks for finding us. Please give us a review, and feel free to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And now, lights, camera, action. Alright, welcome back to the show. I'm Nick, and today is with me, he returns, is... Jack Barnick. Um, really happy to be back, Nick. Thank you. Thank you. If you didn't, uh Jack made a movie called back, Max Bishop. Now a little side little trivia note is Carly was in the movie. Carly does the intro now, but Carly was indeed, in the movie too. Indeed.
1: Yes. The uh, Jennifer the Applicant at the at the horrible temporary
0: employment agency. So it's a little trivia fact. If you yeah. So you've guys met, right? I, yeah, indeed. So Carly indeed, was in the movie. Yeah. Max Bishop. Yeah,
1: loved working together.
0: Yeah. So it's been a couple of years. And I think when we were talking about the uh, um, when we first talked about it, Max Bishop was in post production, yes, and now yes. it's out in the world.
1: Out in the world, I think the last time I was here, I don't think we had even been to the Twin Cities Film Fest yet. I don't think, no, uh, right. yeah. So, uh, we had a you know, wonderful, sold out uh premiere, um, one of the first nights at the festival. We had another matinee screening at the festival in 2019 that went really well, and then a few, I potentially just about a week later, um, co-producer and the uh, lead, Chris Ray and I flew out to the American film market in Los Angeles and yeah. you know walked away with a few offers for representation and distribution. Fast forward to spring of 2020 and we finally have made our decision about who we want to sign with. And then you fast forward again to, See June of last year, June of 2021. Yeah, yeah, that's now when Max it's... Bishop uh, was unleashed here in the states and in Canada. Yeah, Wonderful. just uh, really fantastic. Yeah, so it's available still on Amazon, and then it is also available on Prime now as well. Voodoo, and there are still uh, some DVDs out in the world. Uh, Walmart Isles. you can find it on DVD.
0: I think it will, if we can find a link, we'll put down the link to for people to check it out and maybe want to Great. make a purchase DVD. Per- All right. So anybody who's interested, doesn't really not familiar with Max Bishop, if you want to just give him a rundown of what the plot is. Indeed.
1: So. Max Bishop is about an unemployed uh, hitman who finds work as a janitor at the local elementary school. And while there he meets a 10 uh, year old student named Lucy uh, who. Presents an opportunity that could bring Max back into the world that he loves nothing more—the world of contract killing, his <laughs> his dream job.
0: She's a little bit like the one of those smartest ones in the movie, isn't she? Exactly, yeah. she's, she's exactly. Figured it all out, right? Gives so. Max
1: a run for his money.
0: <laughs> As one who used to be a school janitor, it's too bad you didn't know me till after production. I yes, could have been his consultant yes, on. Yes, yes. <laughs> but then Chris, I was like, Chris, I could have been your consultant know how to janitors, and he's like, I don't think Max would listen to you, so. <laughs> this yes yes
1: yes. But I, I also remember uh, when I was listening to that interview, you were asking yeah. does, does Max operate any of the you know the the heavy machinery, and mm-hmm. I, I I think they trust Max with his mop. <laughs> I think his key ring maybe has one key on it for his supply closet. I don't know how yeah. much
0: else they trust him. Well, <laughs> you mentioned um, some movies that are inspiring for the movie, and I think it'd be interesting to watch these movies that you meant reference that yeah. kind of as a catalyst. One is uh, Playtime. Uh, which is, uh, I think it's from France, right? If yes. I remember. Yes. Uh, where everybody wears almost the same. It's like a colored singular theme. Everybody wears the same kind of costume. It's very kind of this surreal environment. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's um, it's what's so fascinating about that film is uh, it's a majority is long shot, long takes, so extreme wide shots of urban Paris. Yeah. You know, ultra modern urban urban Paris, and the the concept is that there's at the Many points in the movie, there's multiple gags happening at the same time in multiple points of the frame. So I could be watching a completely different movie than you could be watching. Right? Yeah, it's and the so costume is all
0: the same, but the uh, actions are all different. Yes, it's, it's a very much almost like a magic trick. Yes, like, you're paying yes. attention to this and you don't really see what's
1: going totally, on. Totally, totally. Yeah. So I, you know. We certainly with Max Bishop, we don't have the budget for a hundred extras in the in the in the shot at once or even a hundred characters like they sometimes have in, in playtime. But um, just, you know, that idea of things happening in corners of the frame that you might not notice right away, but something kinda catches your attention and oh, there's something in the corner that's interesting. Yeah, Robert um, Ullman
0: used to do that all the time with the audio. Like yeah. the conversation over here all of a sudden comes into the maybe some different or something out of picture the yeah. conversations, everything It's try to keep it almost like it's the real world, even though it's very much not the real world, but kind of that overlapping dialogue kind of a thing.
1: Totally. It's like those are the things, So those are some of the elements that, you know, are just unique to cinema. You know, you really can't do those kinds of things in other art forms. And so, yeah, finding ways to do what only cinema can do in fun cool ways yeah
0: yeah and the other one you mentioned and i ha- i've seen it now you it was murder by contract i finally mm-hmm. be able to, to uh, see it what did you oh yeah how'd you like that one now that is very heavily flu- influenced by max bishop i got yeah. the idea it's almost like if anybody understands it's almost like weekend of bernie's where the hitman is trying to do his job, yeah. killing person, and he's not effective to it. I think Weekend of Bernie's got the inspiration from this. That would be. I yeah. could totally see that. Yes, yes, yes. But he's an excess. The Murder by Contract is he's a hitman who constantly missing his target, mm-hmm. and he's supposed to be the greatest hitman, but for some unusual circumstances, he's not be able to fulfill his job.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. and and you know, it. I find that film just hilarious in its portrayal of this hitman as just any other businessman or as an entrepreneur you know he's he's just saving up for his house on the ohio river and uh he just needs to get so many more jobs before he can have enough money and it's just it's so it's such a hilarious idea
0: yeah the two guys that keep him like he has to live with these two other guys his keepers yeah keepers and they're like don't know really what's going on yeah yeah but it has a funky soundtrack to it that that skippity like doodling, like it's almost like skipping almost like a mindless activity yes
1: yes yes yeah. it it almost seemed to kind of anticipate the sound of like the third man kind of a little right or, yeah, excuse me uh the third man kind of anticipates uh the sound of uh murder by contract it's not yeah. a score that you would immediately associate with that time period but it's so effective
0: right yeah, it's it's yeah. Like what it, so it's almost like it's just Almost mechanical, but it's kind of skipping, having fun with it, almost kind of a thing. But you don't really assign to the plot. Yeah,
1: yeah it's such a cool counterpoint to the action on screen. Yeah, and I, I, so that was the the sound the soundtrack alone or the score alone was one of the elements that I shared with our composer Andrew Hansen and saying, hey, you know, this is it, man. This is like gold do you do you like this sound and fortunately andrew was like hey man i've i've done some picking on the guitar kind of similar to this in the past take a listen and yeah he was just he was a perfect match for that sound yeah yeah what did
0: you you remember when the first time you saw it because it's very obscure kind of an everybody kind of is it a noir I would put it as a kind of a noir. It's almost comedy noir. Yeah, right?
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think I first watched it maybe around 2014, 2015, and I think I discovered it through uh, the Martin Scorsese documentary, his personal journey through American movies. Oh, I love that! Documentary. Yes, yeah. I'm pretty sure he references it in in that uh, documentary, and I was like, "What is this?" And yeah, I tracked it down and just fell in love with that. I mean, it has become one of my favorite films of that decade for sure, of the 50s.
0: Yeah. The 50s was really good because I mean, Paramount had VistaVision, which every movie they made, where they created the VistaVision. So, and then they every movie they made, even the B movies, were in VistaVision. Yeah. So, totally. and then Alfred uh, Hitchcock loved that. So, yeah, I think he did like Rear Window in North, Northwest yeah. and Northwest uh, and Catch a Thief in that. The funny it's thing is, gorgeous. it went obsolete in like, what I think it's 1960. That sounds you, you right. You could do yep. cheaper, efficient, far more camera. And the last movie in VistaVision was Marlon Brando's only directorial dip film, which was, uh, I think it was What uh, One-eyed. Cool. One-Eyed Jacks. Yes, thank you, yeah. thank you. Which is a big misnomer, because when yes. I was a kid, I remember like, Brando is such a jerk, he just filmed all this miles and miles of footage, and he's just an ass and doing multiple takes. Yeah. Well, now I realized that he knew it was the last movie ever in VistaVision. He just wanted to use up everything in the shelf just use it up film it out all, all yep by. yep Which I'm amazing sure his editor really enjoyed yes
1: it. <laughs> i am sure
0: <laughs> well, that's smart i mean uh, you know it could be the last movie in this division i would just shoot everything yeah.
1: totally 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 yeah um, uh, now I wonder if uh, Argento did anything similar with Suspiria, because was that one of the last to use the actual Technicolor, the three-strip process? No, I, I, I I'm think not so. sure. I think you're right.
0: If it's not the last, this might be the very last one. Yeah. yeah, Where now you can do a far more efficient job. For yeah. sure. But I no, love that movie yeah. where the weather is not even right. Yeah, and, I, the, Even if it's not even important to the story, the weather is still not right. Like yeah. getting out of the airport and it's just like you have to fight the weather. Totally, just to get your cab, yeah. yes,
1: yes, yeah. yeah. I actually just rewatched that a couple weeks ago, uh, with a good friend of mine. Uh, it was their first time yeah. seeing it, and yeah, it, it went over like gangbusters.
0: So, as expected, I like that um, Argento uses gore almost like it's candy, yeah, like it everybody's bleeding, but it looks like li- you know, melted licorice coming out of yeah. everybody, it's <laughs> just like totally. it's candy and everything,
1: yeah. yes, yes. Um yeah, you know, you mentioned the the fifties, and yeah, that that's you know one of my just in general favorite decades for film too, because you know you still have, even though the classic Hollywood system is kind of on the decline in that decade, you still have essentially that system in place, but the Hayes Code is starting to break down too, so you have yeah the, you have classic Hollywood films that are incorporating more some of them are incorporating more subversive elements but some of them are just incorporating you know themes and ideas that you would never have seen in the 30s or 40s so it's that brilliant combination you know you're right because we talk about example
0: i'm sorry yeah we talk about it's a classical era but they definitely were pushing limits of what they can get it with especially yeah. hitchcock everybody's yeah. like oh yeah it's classic cinema but he always like what can i do to push the envelope a little more especially totally. like North our northwest we'll talk about underlying sex themes throughout the whole movie. It's a sexual movie. Yes. But nowadays, you like show it to your kids like, hey.
1: Exactly. Rated G. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, right. I think the 50s were very much, let's see how far we can go with this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's right in time for like The Searchers. Which, yes. Let's make John Wayne the bad guy in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Incredible. Yeah. But you think about like all those westerns and then he's in this one and he's almost this racist misogynist yes hateful person (laughs)
1: fascinating i mean yeah it's such an interesting piece of his career you know i mean you just you associate him as being as as representing certain american values and then you see him in the searchers and you're like well those are the american values that yeah. Some modern audiences would kind of associate him with, and to see him on screen, blatantly acting that way, it, it's it's fascinating. Yes, yeah. learning
0: the words of like how the Cherokee speak. Yeah, and throwing their beliefs back at them, mm-hmm. just nonchalanty. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, you guys are yeah, they're
1: Yeah. Totally, Listen. totally. Well,
0: yes. But yeah, 50s are fascinating. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of almost documentary style kind of filming a little bit, Yeah, especially with the B Boobies. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Noirs are kind of out. waning a little yeah. bit. They're just kind of almost getting a little more caricature-ish.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I think, yeah. do they say uh, Touch of Evil is kind of usually regarded as the final classic film noir? I would say so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, when
0: it got really just out. Yeah, really, really con- <laughs> condemning and just not really evil. Really yes, perfect yes, title for
1: it. yes, very much so. Yeah. Okay, now I might know what I'm watching this evening. <laughs> it's
0: been a while for that one, yeah, yeah. Well, that was a great beginning for Touch of Evo because it's that long tracking shot of you follow the bomb in the car and Ooh. then the car and then you're following, like, what the? <sighs> Get away from the car and nobody knows and I'm unaware of it. And yeah. And you have a big boom. Yeah.
1: yeah. Have you yeah. Um, caught up with his, or- Orson Welles, um, the... Uh, po- posthumously completed film uh, the other side of the wind from uh, the documentary ago. of it, the making of it there's a making of it, and then they actually did s- miraculously put together the film itself so the film is I've never on seen Netflix the film now itself. yeah i still need to see it myself i'm just i'm i'm avidly i need to just sit
0: down and do it so. i think he was trying to do um like reality tv a little bit i think yeah. he's a little bit ahead of himself i don't think yeah. people grasp what he wanted to do almost like what Nicolas Cage is coming out with. Like he's yes. doing Nicolas Cage, being Nicolas Cage and yep. you know, yep. or something like being John Malkovich inside John Malkovich. Totally, and, you know, totally. John Malkovich goes into John Malkovich's brain or something like that. So I think that's what he was trying to convey. That's what it,
1: does. yeah, I think you're on the right track there. That's yeah. that's kind of what I was getting from it too, yes. Um, and I think there's, a, I recently saw a clip, or it might have even been in that documentary. Um, Wells is that? I think he's had a career uh, retrospective or an AFI lifetime achievement, yeah. and he was he used the event to screen some footage from the other side of the wind to try and get fundraising or any help from you know Hollywood Yeah, that's why he's doing commercials, and he didn't want to do them. Right? Yeah, and I think the the screen of the footage, unfortunately, you know, it landed with a big thud. Unfortunately, and and you know, well, I didn't think yeah. nobody understand the pitch right? exactly. I mean, they exactly, you don't
0: have to hear pitch about what you want to do yes. when you can't referencing. <laughs> something else right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Like ridley yeah. scott did with alien he just went to the producers i'm taking jaws and star wars and putting them together give me a million dollars Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> totally 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 yeah.
0: yeah so what's on the horizon after max bishop with you
1: i am very I, i've been doing a lot of writing when i'm not shooting i'm writing i love writing 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 so yeah. i'm finally you know i've got a few scripts that i I feel the same pull that I felt with Max Bishop. I want to see these movies. I just think feasibly, realistically, they, they probably are not the next film, you know, both from a budget perspective and from a. Uh, I, I just don't think I'm ready to tackle those projects quite, quite yet. But I yeah. do have a script right now that um, if this one holds, I would be really excited about this being the follow up to Max Bishop. Well, great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, especially with. Um, COVID protocols still rightly being in place on, on productions. I think we're a little ways out before we'll be ready to start filming another feature. But uh, so that's why I'm going to be a little withholding on, on yeah. details because I want to be make sure we're all ready when I start Yeah, dishing out some of the ideas about it.
0: So but. just to be clear, you're thinking about a, a new like a sequel, almost to Max Bishop. Or no, is, is, this
1: would be uh, a, a new story, a, new um,
0: story. a, a separate, yeah, a separate idea. Um, but
1: I would no. never rule out uh, a follow up, uh, a sequel, some sort of thing to Max Bishop, um, maintaining that
0: universe a little bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. I just, it was such a fun world to build and explore, and. Mm. I I think there is more that can be done in that world, Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know that it would be something I would want to do immediately next at the same time, so.
0: Well, I know you insert a lot of comedic in your scripts, just based on what I've seen from Max Bishop and talking with you. And so is that something you think as a base when you write, comedy first, or is it just comes into it play? It
1: seems like the comedy stuff comes into it. It, It's rare that I sit down and say, I want to write something that's funny. And if I do try to do that, it sucks. It's no good. It's just (laughs) awful. But, yeah, it it seems like when I get some characters together and start having them interact – more so than not, their interactions start leading me down something that I think is kind of amusing or funny. I hope yeah. there's other moods and tones to go along with it. You know, I'm rarely interested in doing something that's just funny, but um, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting how that works. How, well, there, yeah,
0: I don't, I'm not going to s- uh, spoil anything. I think comedy needs to be inserted somewhere into something. Every every a little everything yeah. has a little bit of comedy. In it Star Wars is a funny movie. It's not my fault. Yes. It's
1: yes. Fault. And it was, it's not my
0: fault. But uh, no, the, yeah. there's comedy in the new Batman movie. That's something for foreboding. There's a there's a scene where Batman's at the crime scene and he's he's not interacting with anybody. He's doing the, what we see in the complex. He's just taken in, like a detective, taking mm-hmm. in the environment. And then the cameraman, you know, taking pictures, bumps into him and there's like, oh no, he's going to beat me up.
1: Got it. Yes. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Yes. <laughs> and that's. We yeah. all recognize what Batman would do. He's just—he's introverted, so he's just going to stand there. Yeah, but yeah, it, it breaks up. That's part of it. It's comedy, right? It's inserted in there. But you're right. It's—I think, yeah, it's I hard would, to do.
1: Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say the same thing. You know, on on the drama side, I would. I, it's. I I'm not interested in doing something that's just drama. To your point, yeah. interspersing that comedy, interspersing those other elements. I, I think that's that's what I'm interested in it, it makes it a little harder to sell than on the on the back end you know when you're trying to get it out into market the reps distributors they like clean cut categories and I think some right. of that might be starting to change I mean obviously a24 is making a whole um, industry out of stuff that isn't easily um, classified but you know it's it's still with the majors they like their clean cut,
0: is it a comedy categories. or not? I want an answer. So exactly. we can put it in the category Yes. you can sell it and it's easy to sell. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's. I think artists like to challenge what is funny yep. because, you know, putting a guy in a wood chipper and cut him up is funny to us, but it's horrific to other
1: people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Who would have thought that would work
0: the way it did? And There you go. Great. I think us Minnesotans have a weird what we laugh at to a lot of – I've met a lot of people who are not Minnesotans and, like, that's funny to you? It's like, well, yeah. Yes. Yes. I bizarre, dark comedy into us.
1: Yep. I think you are absolutely right about that. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, yeah, I think you're right that there's a Minnesota kind of humor. I think there's also in a little more generally sort of a Midwest kind of humor as well. I mean, you can see it in like the films of, um, Zucker Abrams, Zucker, like airplane top secret, just this kind of, yeah dumb humor but not not um, not mean spirited not mean dumb humor just yeah. dumb
0: f- fun dumb right. humor right. um yeah. hospital was it what is it yeah. building with patients yes. right yes yeah. yes yes you know airplane 2 is not that awful is i think everybody's okay. just recovering from airplane 1 yeah. <laughs> and there's still the the big hang the big hangover and then you kick out another one and people are like oh my, i'm not still ready yet i got
1: to follow up i need to check airplane 2 off my list
0: so I, I might you, just do that. I think it's just because it's it's almost like we've seen it before. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Then sure. You know, French Connection too is great, but it's just we've, everybody loves French Connection, and mm-hmm. it's kind of mm-hmm. like, well, how about we put Gene Hackman in Paris and see what he does? Yeah, you know. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Sequels is tough to sell. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to get to you why know, it's hard to dabble in that area because sequels there's so much expectation, and you don't have to do a lot of world building. So, what would you do to? maintain interest and so it's another challenge
1: for sure for sure
0: yeah uh when you write do you do outlines sometimes yes sometimes
1: no um with the script that i'm writing right now um no i i i tried to do a little bit of an outline but it just wasn't working it it seemed to be going flowing better when i just plowed through the actual script pages now in the case of max bishop that started as an outline and I got you know I was able to plow through three fourths of an outline very very quickly so in that case the outline really really helped and worked and in this case what seems to be working is just trying to let the characters speak and trying to let them take me through the scenes and what's gonna then take me to the next scene and the transition after that and so on and so on so that seems to be working right now. Okay. Yeah, it just seems to depend on the script, depend on the characters. It, it's interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, when you do characters, are you do you limit like a core of three? Do you single out? I mean, you know, it's yeah, yeah.
1: Right now, especially when I'm writing for what I want to make next, you know, after Max Bishop, I am I do try to keep the character count low, yeah. um, just from a you know project size perspective uh so yeah two to three main characters kind of we can run across other side characters um and of course i have other scripts where you know we have 20 main characters but those (laughs) are the scripts that i don't think we're quite ready to make uh at this time um and then you know the other interesting thing that i seem to find is i to me writing feels a lot not that i've ever done it but digging for fossils is kind of how i imagine writing or what i i What I imagine digging for fossils feels like is kind of how writing sometimes feels like to me, and that these stories already exist somewhere out here. And what I'm doing is just kind of dusting away and uncovering, and sometimes I'll start with a scene that isn't going to happen until midway through the movie. So it's like, okay, this is a femur bone over here, but I don't really know what it connects to. Okay, now here's the rest of the bone. It's almost interesting.
0: Yeah, it's almost, well, you're explaining, you're speaking almost like how Michelangelo did his sculptures when people are like, how did you make that? And he's like, well, it was in there. I just had to get Uh, it out. (laughs) Yeah, And it's a different perspective how we perceive it yeah mm-hmm, it's always mm-hmm. like that was in there i just had to get them out yes yes it's yes. almost like how you say it it's in the ground i'd have to get it out yeah.
1: and i know there have been times where i write right right and then i break it i break the bone you know it like it doesn't work anymore the thing i was working on it it's just it's not i broke it and i i can just feel it and yeah there are you know so what i'm writing right now i i haven't broken it yet and i'm really excited about it and i think it it just feels like a really nice progression from Max Bishop. So I'm really excited to move into development on this
0: one. When I, I, you know, you and I, I think both kind of read other people's scripts and kind of give feedback and then they read our scripts. And so I'm also reading other people's scripts and I usually have a checklist of what I kind of want to see. And one of the things I like to see is show me where it hurts. It's Hemingway's show me where it hurts, hmm. most importantly. And I think we can see that with Max Bishop where it hurts. <laughs> um how do you deal with death? What the characters deal with death? Or you, do you have a theme about death? It has to be something about death. Number two, where is the exaggeration? And the mm. next point, where are you going out? It's art form. Where are you exaggerating? Yeah. Marty's Marty says he's obviously exaggerating with the violence, you know. Mm. Um, and then the next thing is, are you playing it safe?
1: Uh huh. Yep. If
0: you're playing it safe, then go back. Yep. Yep. Really challenge yourself about what these characters are going to do. Something the character has to do something that you don't want them to do or don't like that they're doing it. So challenge mm. yourself about not playing it safe.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Which can be a very hard thing to do. Oh yeah, um, I know. Very hard. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. I,
0: meant, I gave feedback to somebody at one and I was like, "You're playing it too safe." She goes, "Really? It's the 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 ending is not as like their characters are too safe. They're too you're protecting them. You have to do something that it's going to make you hate them." Mm-hmm. Something that's mm-hmm. going to make them be more human,
1: right? Totally. I, I think when yeah. you when you find yourself looking at your characters and thinking, "I don't want to hurt them. I don't want them to do something that I wouldn't want them to do." That's that's a great sign because I think you've you know you're really attached to your characters. But I think yeah, you're right. You should push yourself to then take that next step and hurt yeah. them, and, <laughs> and then find
0: out where the exaggeration is. Yeah. I think with Max Bishop, it's the, the comedic element, right? Almost outrageous! Like, really, you're gonna do it that way? All right, you're gonna do it this way? The almost the fumbling a little bit. Yeah.
1: I. I yeah, I'm still, you know, really interested in seeing more of the reaction to to people who have seen the movie. We've, um, you know, we're getting a lot of user reviews like on Amazon and Letterboxd, which is fantastic. And yeah, I. I it was. I personally was just really excited about that contrast, you know, the the more tati, the the playtime kind of very reserved cinematic style that would be contrasted with these explosive moments of physical yeah. comedy, um outrageous comedy. It, it just was it was exciting to me, that that combination.
0: No, yeah. you got to have the right temperament, right? We talk about it with writing cuz we I watched North by Northwest with my dad and he's like, "Why the hell do we need a plane going at I go it's the most. Mem- it doesn't make sense, but as movie makes sense. Yeah, we need it because it's been kind of boring for the last fifteen minutes. Number two, it's on the cover, so we kind of expect it. Number three, it's you'll. It's the most memorable thing. You'll remember it, and it's unforgettable. You remember what Cary Grant had to go through against the plane, but in reality, does make. It's movie sense. It makes sense in the movie. But in reality, you won't never necessarily do that, right? You're yeah. boy. And
1: you know, it's funny you say that because especially with writing this this latest script, that's one of the things I've been trying to embrace again is movies with a capital M, you know? Right. It's, yeah. It's it is what it is. Um and yeah, you can do a lot of fun things with that. Totally. And especially
0: I think when you write, you're thinking still movie visually how can we explain this visually rather than we're just gonna like it's a book mm-hmm. like how can we show this visually of something walking away and have a point to it
1: I, that's i think what what we're always we're shooting for whether right. we get there or not i yeah. don't know but yeah that ideally totally yeah. yeah yeah
0: i think that's the most magical thing especially if it's in the script or not and i'm, I'm trying to i'm just referencing alfred hitchcock a lot because it's just in my brain but like the time of him Jimmy Stewart stalking Kim Novak and then he goes to a dark alley so it's everything's dark. The sound's dark and then he goes and see what the door, he opens the door where she went in and we open up and it's a flower shop which makes the whole environment pop because we know about contrast. I don't know if that's in the script but that's a visually exciting thing to see because that may emphasize, whoa, look at all that bright colors. Yeah. No, that
1: would be, that is a really potentially good example because i also i have not uh read that that script but i I'm, I'm blinking on other examples where i have you know seen a really awesome visual moment in a movie and i've gone back to see how it is portrayed in the script and yeah that would be a really interesting example because on the page
0: meh, yeah she knows know, the flower meh, shop, yeah <laughs> and then on camera you're like oh my god i could hop huh, right yeah. and then you know that you have to make it dark 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 to make the flower shop really enticing exaggerations mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. if you go back to watch Helford Hitchcock man he loved green <laughs> he loved green so much I mean the beginning of North by North rest is rest green that's right yes Tim Novak's yes. dress is green yes, yeah. yes I mean, even yes. the birds everything is green
1: you know speaking of, of green and and now uh, in my opinion uh, for me Vertigo has the scariest use of green and Playtime has the funniest use of green <laughs> There's two moments in in or one moment in each of the movies that yeah it's it's uh, yeah. the polar opposites for the use of green which I think is really cool.
0: That's so funny because both those films when they came out were not yeah get high praise yeah people thought it was going to kill his career at Vertigo yeah. That's like, yeah. yeah
1: and and yeah. what did he follow up Vertigo with? Why I'm, I'm blanking on that right now. Then would have come
0: I think Rear Window and then North by Northwest and Psycho mm-hmm. Psycho yep and Then yep. Marty. and
1: yep yeah.
0: Yep. she was not over over with which is amazing because almost at the end of his career he did psycho yeah yeah
1: <laughs> incredible incredible and and it is also cool that yeah i mean he you know even in that in that era he decided no i want to use my television crew we're going to shoot this cheap and dirty and that's intentional that's by design and yeah there you go
0: well we talked i think we talked about it when we had lunch together that it, that's most it's effective because it looks like it's supposed to be on tv that's into yep. like a theatric movie. It's almost like on TV, and it makes make it more shocking that you're so conditioned to see a television show. Yeah, yeah, a television crew. Makes it even more shocking that almost this could be on television, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, you don't write outlines are kind of a necessity if you need it. It's almost like something in your toolbox I, and it, I'll pull it off. I need that's too. how I would yeah. describe it. Yep,
1: yeah. yep, yep, yep.
0: Are you uh, do you do you have a certain schedule to write? Do you write at night during the day? You know, a I park.
1: Yeah, I can I can tell that um, I, I do I am not going to call it my best because who knows what it, what's good or bad. But I I do most of my writing at night. I think I try to write many times throughout the day, but for whatever reason, especially after eight pm, I don't know if it's you know more quiet or whatever it is, yeah. but it just the words come out faster. Whether they're good or not, that's an entirely different discussion, but the words come out much faster at, at night time.
0: I think you yeah. and I are kind of the same because when I write my scripts, I, I like to have experienced the day before I get back into my job of working mm-hmm. and write everything mm-hmm. kind of, all the distraction, the noise, and everything goes away after like yeah. 8 o'clock and everything, the birds and everything are kind of quiet and it's kind of nice to concentrate. Yeah, if you watch True Detective, I know that guy is doesn't start writing till 10 p.m. You could just tell with the true detective. He's <laughs> he waits till ten PM to everybody's shut down and then he, what he meant he turns off his phone and all the communications just goes in his room and, but it's like, yeah, that's totally night writing right there.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That 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 sounds about right. <laughs>
0: Which I've watched like Paul Schrader, I think he does both. I think he writes during the day and writes at night where you can tell kind of where it comes from
1: sure 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 oh did you see um the card counter from last year critiqued it on our youtube channel kyle nick excellent excellent
0: i think he that movie was covid kind of limited because i think the ending doesn't it's not what he wanted and he had to adjust to what he wanted to do with that ending based on restrictions because they had to shut down production multiple times because of covid so there's a lot of different changes to that Movie. It's interesting because I when I critiqued, it, I go, it's very much a Paul Schrader movie. He's got one single character that he's going through the crucible, and he's not playing it safe. But the ending was too safe for me, and I was like, I think he had to adapt and change. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, I did. Li- did you see
1: it? I did. Yeah, and I I liked it as well. I don't know that I liked it as much as uh, First Reformed from a couple of years ago, but I, love I First yeah. Reform. I mean, yeah. come on, that was yeah. so cool because you know Paul Schrader, he spent his a lot of his career writing about, you know, the transcendental style of Ozu and Brasson, But stylistically, his movies haven't quite gone to that extreme. And so First Reformed did, finally, you know. I mean, content-wise, his earlier movies were very much, were very similar, but... I did like the ending
0: of First Reformed because that is very much... Well, I'm not, not going to ruin it to anybody, but it's it's just simply a kiss, and you can interpret it as a, it seals the deal. Is he, It's another project trajectory of where we're we going. So I do like that ending, and it had to be a bit, yeah, it's great. Especially he's a man of the cloth and he's kissing somebody, right? Indeed, yeah. indeed. Yeah.
1: And the magic carpet ride <laughs> out comes out of nowhere, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It was no, perfect. when that came out,
0: I was really disappointed that Ethan did not get any recognition mm. for that performance. It was really yeah. marvelously done. Yeah, yeah very I think that's much so. That's Paul Schrader's. He really works well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's very out loud. I la- it's loud, isn't it? And that was a very quiet movie. Yeah. <laughs> very yeah. loud, yeah.
1: Definitely, definitely. Yeah.
0: So did, without Paul and I am not talk Paul like single character and then we go the world around him where yeah. somebody I re- another person I really like that's a screenwriter David Mamet who very much writes like how you play cards. Like, sometimes people speak lines, but there's multiple interpretations of what that could be. So dialogue is almost like a dual battle where they're like, are you honest with me? Are you honest with yourself? And so it's very much playing cards close to yourself kind of kind of a thing. Love it. Of Mamet. Yes, yeah. yes.
1: Yeah. I think the first Mamet movie I saw, I think it was Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. And yeah, Everybody immediately. Everybody's scheming each other. Oh, so good. So good. Um, also, yeah, American Buffalo. I really like that one, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, his it's dialogue. It's a case study yeah. for dialogue. Oh, yes. Very yeah. much so. Very much so.
0: Because it's almost like they're not true to themselves, but you know their characters, even though they're lying to themselves almost. But it's almost like he loves gambling, so he loves to play that scheming a little bit. Everybody's like house of games and uh uh, Spanish prisoner and all that stuff.
1: Yep, yep, yep. So. Uh, what was his... Did He he recently made a bi, uh, biopic. Um, what was it with Pacino? Um, gosh. Oh, did, I think David Mamet, did he do the Phil Spector film? Maybe for he TV wrote film? Aaron, yeah. He wrote,
0: okay, okay. Which is perfect because you don't know if <laughs> Phil... by hey, accident Right. Is that very much that David Mamet that thing? Is of, right in Or line. maybe he's just lying that person's lying to himself and yeah. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Multiple perceptions right yeah. very much so right i would imagine he writes during that night i he's probably a nighttime writer yes
1: <laughs> that sounds about right
0: as well totally totally well uh he did the movie spartan uh with val kilmer and val got really upset with him because like you cut so much good stuff you know what I mean, he's like we had that script was marvelous and he just ripped it out and like we're not doing that it's like but it's just like but he's such a editor of like got to cut it out i'm Got to kill your babies.
1: For such a prominent writer, that's really impressive. Yeah. That's really impressive. Ups- um, and
0: Val's like, oh, I'm kind of upset because there's so many good things in the script, but you, you know, you have to think of what you want to do in the movie. And
1: I do still need to see Spartan Val Kilmer and uh, Mamet. That sounds yeah. like a, a
0: really fun matchup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so when you write, do you watch other movies or do you kind of just kind of sticking a vacuum kind of a thing? It's
1: about half and half. There are times where I have I'm writing and I've got, you know, movies on that are kind of in the same realm as what I'm writing just to soak in the vibes. Same thing with music. Some, you know, I. As much as I enjoy having a movie on as I'm writing, having music playing is much more productive, I think. I, I think mean so, the music right. can help you get into that atmosphere and that tone, and you're not you know constantly peeking up <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah i I honestly, I as much as I theorize that writing in the vacuum is going to really get me motivated, it does seem like the the music in the background. Uh, that really pushes me. It's a lot of fun to write that way. What about you?
0: I, 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 I always say there's more work involved than just writing it out. I think yeah. that's the last step. Writers are always thinking about what to do, what to do. They're editing in their mind, and they're constantly talking out loud the dialogue. And then when you finally type it out, that's the last step, right? And then you're figuring out, well, how do I end that scene? <laughs> so perfect time how do we end this break (laughs) (laughs) all right we're gonna take a little break um and back more with jack hey welcome to the
1: last comic shop podcast
0: a comic book podcast that actually talks about comics yep each week we open the shop up and read and discuss a comic sometimes we pair that up with comic book movies or tv shows we're not lots of times it's just comic books and sound effects. Oh yes, definitely lots of sound effects. So tune in on all the major podcasting platforms. The Last Comic Shop podcast or check out our library of evergreen shows at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com.
1: Welcome back and now more with the show.
0: All right, we're back more with um, Jack and just, uh, we got to break. We talked about these, you know, you're on binging Tony Scott films?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, anytime I can, anytime I can.
0: Uh, so yeah. I, That's I, amplified. Yeah. yeah. That is <laughs> it's, adrenaline, right? It
1: is, it is. Yeah. And I just, it's such an amazing combination of just sheer craftsmanship, filmmaking, and just dumb fun it's like he he's it's, it's like a lot of risks yes and yes they're just like, do it to do it yeah the the smartest yeah. dumb movies like of the last 30 20 years yeah. i
0: remember there's a scene in true romance where christian slater meets up with his dad played by dennis hopper mm-hmm. and they go to the trailer and a lot of the dialogue is in the trailer a lot of the action but there's a if you go back there's a snippet of them walking a the street it doesn't make sense they're like they're outside but the dialogue stays like God dang it! You're such like my mother. It's almost like they're like, oh, we forgot. Let's just shoot this We're yes. right here. So yes, it's not in the trailer. It's not even the trailer park. It's like somewhere in a street. But the dialogue keeps the conversation flowing. Yeah, and I think that's a great metaphor, of Tony Scott. Right? Yes, doesn't make sense, but hey, it fits the movie.
1: Yes, yes. It's mm-hmm. like you you can forgive so much in his movies. <laughs> yes, because yes. right, his yeah. his passion for the material is just pulsating through every frame it's it's amazing um uh like just recently again re-watched um unstoppable which is i think one of the best if not the best disaster movie of the last 10 years it's great title just, for him oh, exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. and how i mean it's so cool that you know he doesn't just settle I mean even on the script level he send you know he'll get a script from a writer and then he'll say great uh, you just wrote man on fire I'm going to send you to go hang out with you know people who investigate kidnappings and you're going to go into that world and you're going to incorporate what you learn into the script and it's not that that alone makes means that the movie is going to be good. It just, it, it does elevate the material, you know, right. it, it, yeah. it helps. You can, you notice it, you feel it. And you know, in a movie like Man on Fire or Spy Game or even Taking a Pelham One Two Three, that helps. That that those details help. Yeah. Well, there's
0: a. I think the last movie you did was Domino. Was that right?
1: Um, almost. Uh, last one was Unstoppable, which again, Unstoppable. perfect title okay, for right. a final movie. But okay. yeah, Domino was towards the end. Towards the yeah, end.
0: Yeah. There's a great Tony Scott thing of them. I think they just go to the campfire. Just to have an exposition dump. Yep, yep. And it's shot really like almost like it's a magical moment. It's drippy and it's, you got yeah. a shaman esque kind of a thing. Yeah. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the movie, but once it, again, it's Tony You Like you buy into it and it's wonderful, mm-hmm. just theatrics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's have a bonfire in this desert and just. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. The, right. Yep. So when he's going to make based, uh, which I got to chuckle, is like, he's making a movie based on a true story. It's like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <it's Tony> Scott. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I, like, I like that yeah. because I think it, when it's directors, you have to f- figure out a style. I mean, that's where you really understand what you're getting into in a style. And you can kind of, I know when I'm getting into a Wes Anderson movie, it's a style on its own. I know when I'm getting into it, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So, and then, yeah, and that helps to speak the language that you're trying to convey.
1: Totally, totally. And yeah, it just so happens that Tony Scott's language, his style is controlled chaos. Yeah, you it's know? almost like a shotgun blast Exactly, to the movie, right? exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, I find it interesting that just for my tastes, you know, I don't, a lot of the modern fast cutting doesn't usually work for me but i find it interesting that with tony scott it does it just seems like he's on the other end of the spectrum where you know i normally gravitate to long shot long takes which is one end tony scott (laughs) is just the other end of that spectrum and it's a beautiful spectrum yeah yeah
0: I have been on a huge kick of, uh, I think we talked about it when we had a lunch together, and I went to Sam Sam Fuller films, Mm -hmm. which if you've known Tarantino, I think Tarantino gets a lot from Samuel Fuller, which is almost in-your-face dialogue, very pulpy kind of dialogue. I think it was like The Naked Kiss, where the woman, the cameraman, you are the person that she's beating the crap out of, and that's the beginning of the movie. And then it goes very dark that he realizes that she's a, a prostitute, and she's... The person she loves is a pedophile, but this is the 50s. Like, what are you doing? Yep, amazing. Yeah, and Sam Fuller's kind of like that where, you know, not playing it safe. (laughs) I would love to be in the conversation of pitching the idea for the crimson kimono. What do you got for us, Sam? Well, I got a racist Japanese cop in love with a man's wife. Jesus. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. <laughs> A madman. Um, I'm thinking uh, it's not going to go well in the Midwest yeah. there. So yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was yeah. so daring that I think only people appreciate his movies when he was making them in France. I think mm. France really loved him. He, mm. he wasn't really. I mean, he's making movies for MGM, but mm. yeah, and he wasn't really selling all that well here.
1: No, and, and yeah. you're right. It is interesting. I mean, even in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, Sam Fuller. He was, he was primarily making movies in the 60s and 70s. No, he was making these in the 50s as well. I mean, yeah, he, he's, he was such a unique man for his time.
0: Oh, he intentionally yeah. hired Mark Hamill for his autobiography, Big Red yes, One. Yes, he intentionally yes, hired it because yes. as kids, we loved him as Luke Skywalker. Then when Big Red One, when he's Han's Luke Skywalker confronts a Nazi, he, he's frozen. That's <laughs> where you can, the, the Death Star, like, yeah, taking it on, and I'm fighting. Where then he feels he meets a real Nazi. He's like, oh,
1: two of the titles, yeah, that I watched since we had that lunch. I, I finally did watch Big Red One, Big one loved it, yeah, and uh, also for the first time, um, uh, Shock Therapy, which, oh man.
0: Shot Corridor? Shot Corridor, excuse yeah. me, Yeah, it's a great metaphor of what he thought America. It's cuckoo, <sighs> but... <laughs> yes. No kidding, man. That... Wasn't the, the journalist is intentionally going into the insane asylum to report it, and then it's the classic that they don't believe that he's fake. Yeah. No, I'm really faking, though. You will stay here. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: No, that that was lived up and possibly exceeded You know, all the expectations that had been built up around it for me. Yeah, that was great. Yeah.
0: I think uh, if you're in, you like Tarantino, you like the pulpies, you'll, I think you'll know where he derived from in that second folder. Yep, Fuller,
1: yep. for sure, for sure. Yeah, Naked Kiss is a, would be a great one to start with. Totally, totally. Dick Up yeah. on South Street. Yeah, yeah.
0: Which is that old Alfred Hitchcock. It's about secret formula, but then it's like, that's no, not really, it's about grifters and yeah. being a part of being alone and all that stuff, yeah.
1: That's yeah. something that I really, you know... Uh, filmmakers far more eloquent than me can talk about like the importance of genre and genre filmmaking. And I mean, Del Toro is really good at speaking about why horror movies or creature features are relevant and important. And um, yeah, I mean, in the case of pickup or some of the Hitchcock stuff, you know, it's, it's the genre is more on the suspense thriller spy kind of stuff, but even using the elements of those genres to I don't want to say say things about society, but observe society, you know, reflecting society through genre is such a cool thing.
0: Well, Nightmare Alley was my favorite movie of last year. Okay. If you haven't seen I, it. Yet.
1: I still need to see it. I, yeah. I'm i partial, obviously, to the original, but I'm okay. I'll get through it. I will. I do want to see it now.
0: No, the original like, yeah. is even, that's even hard <sighs> to, to, die, to digest because it's yeah. very harsh. It is harsh. And Man. Nightmare Alley is very, I don't know if you can do a lot of, I got a couple of nominations, but I, I told Kyle when I critiqued it, I go, this is hard to digest. And it can be, does not like things to be hard to okay. digest, even though there's serious stuff like Platoon won Best Picture mm-hmm. and that's hard to digest, but it's very melodramatic yep. where there's nothing melodramatic about Nightmare Alley. And it's very, it's almost showing a world of the America that you don't really want to show, right? Or nobody would want to talk about.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: yeah. mm-hmm. And then, well, it's my favorite noir character, the, psych, uh, the psychotherapist Lilith Ritter. She's if they think the Joker's a schemer, yes. the Dark Knight, yes, she is yes. the ultimate schemer. Yep, right.
1: yep. So I guess without um, uh, spoilers because I haven't seen it, and for anyone listening, but I mean the the Del, Del Toro version. Its own beast entirely, or DNA from the original film. Very I much it's, adapted okay. from the book, and very yeah. much like that. Yeah, okay. I think the original
0: starts out with the sheriff coming to the carnival trying to break it up. It's a great way to introduce the characters mm-hmm. and um, Stanton. Mm-hmm. But in Del Toro's, it just starts with like a geek out on um, gets cut loose, and then oh, f- kind of introduce all the characters. Okay, that way. okay. The nice thing about the new one is Bradley Cooper doesn't say a line until like. 20 minutes in the movie okay he's kind of like us he's just sitting there taking it all in kind of absorbing almost like the i usually call it the barometer character like mm. he's that he's that like taking it all in we're all taking it all in when he's winning we're all winning we feel good we feel good But okay. he's when he's down we're gonna be down so yeah yeah. All right, favorite movie of last year. Got it, it definitely is. Oh, okay. It's not the feel-good movie of the year. I don't know that, yeah. Well, oh, was a little disappointed because uh, Del Toro, he's just so used to mysticism involved, and I think uh, kind of missed out, and he's like, well, I thought a monster was going to pop out of the corner. And he's like, no, no. It's, mm-hmm. actually, it's the dissecting of mysticism is pretty much the story.
1: Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah. sign me up. I, I, Yeah, I think it's hitting Blu-ray, not either this Tuesday or the following Tuesday. I think it's getting on home video oh, I so love I'll a copy of it. Yeah, all right. I'll have to I might even gamble on it.
0: Hey, if you shoot Bradley Cooper sitting on a chair and the house is on fire? I mean, that's a pyrotechnic trick. Yeah. That's that's dangerous, man. <laughs> yeah. You got to enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. All right. I am looking forward to it. So I know uh, it's I I know now not to ask filmmakers if they've seen a lot of movies because sometimes you're so busy on set making movies and then it's a day off. What do you want to do? No, I don't really want to watch a movie. <laughs> but uh, have you seen a lot of recent movies?
1: From from last year, um, some of the bigger titles from the end of the year I'm still trying to catch up with. Um, but two of my favorites that I did see was uh, The French Dispatch, Wes Anderson's latest movie. I, okay. I really did enjoy that one. Um I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I've seen it twice now, and it seems like the first, going back to Moonrise Kingdom, for some reason, the first time I watched these, each of these movies, I was kind of like, I love the first 15, 20 minutes. Just the energy of his movies is just, Go. just hit the ground running. And then when the story sets in, I'm like, oh, okay. And then the second time I watch it, no, I'm like, what What the heck was I thinking? This is amazing. This is fantastic. So that kind of happened a little bit again with French Dispatch. Um, but yeah, the second time I watched it, it was I just fell in love with it all over again. It's almost uh, like
0: the, his film is like the narration tells you how the story is going to be made. It almost cuts it up that way. Hmm. And then hmm. almost like the adults are kind of going to be a little more juvenile than even the kids are going to be. But it's an appreciation of art is kind of almost the appreciation enjoyment of adolescent kind of a median yeah artwork exploring having fun yeah yeah even though the tone and the theme might not match yeah, uh, but we're having enjoyment making the process so. Yep.
1: Yep. i i i know that you know i've seen some comments that ah uh, i uh anderson tripling down on his style i can't take it anyway it's too much and you know i i i sympathize i sympathize but i let's uh quadruple down for my money i'll take it i'll take it all day long
0: um and then, you talked about, you seen Card Counter with Paul Trader. Yep. Yeah.
1: So I, I enjoyed Card Counter. Um, you know, not, I think, French, French Dispatch for me, I was just much closer to my heart than than Card Counter. But um, also um, old, Shyamalan's old. I, I borderline loved it. Okay. I, I I haven't seen it yet. Okay, yeah. I am, um, I wouldn't even say I'm a Shyamalan apologist. I just, I love him. I love his movies. There's an I, athet- you know.
0: aesthetic that I think you, you yeah, he enjoys, and, and you know, it's very easy to massacre him. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it's very easy because he put himself in a corner. Yes, you yes, know, that's what happens with artwork. And that you put it in then people have expectations.
1: For sure. Yeah, I, I certainly am not going to you know defend every one of his movies, but even something like Lady in the Water, I, I I enjoy it. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I there's a lot of stuff going on there, and
0: just good characters, good community movie. It, it's. It's good, right? And you recognize it's a movie, mm-hmm. without right being outside of a movie. Right? Yeah,
1: and then um, old just again a you know again not a, a masterpiece, but just that classic Shyamalan weird humor. You know, I just love his sense of humor. It's very unique, and yeah, the way he uses the camera, just again, yeah, some good long sets shot, is a long funny takes movie. Yeah, even yeah, the, the
0: engagements of the boy and Nicole mm-hmm. and the doctor and how they correspond
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so I'd, i don't know i'd, I'd take yeah. a chance on it i'd recommend it good yeah right. i would take that chance <laughs> i would uh,
0: my one of the nightmare allies was my favorite i did yeah. i put power the power of the dog was one of my favorites i really enjoyed the subtlety of it even okay. though it's not it's the contrast it's a subtle but it's not subtle. Okay. Okay. it's quiet but it's speaking very loudly to you and to pull that off with a movie is very hard and very mm-hmm. difficult to do, especially mm-hmm. with characters that are almost, you don't like any of them, mm-hmm. really, in this open spaces and that very hard to do. Boy. Matt deceiving you by playing it subtle when it's not, right? That,
1: that's it. one of the ones that I am, like, top of my list I need to catch up with.
0: Yeah, yeah. for sure. And I did really enjoy Coda. That was wonderful. Another one. Yep. Yeah. Which, got it. I, I didn't think, I thought it was going to be just so poppy. Hmm? Very melodramatic, almost hallmarky, and it's not. It's, it has a very much a heart to it, hmm? but it's hmm? very, it's very palpable, and I Got enjoyed it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Um, by any chance, did
1: you? Um, not, not many people are talking about it right now, but did you uh, happen to see *Many Saints of Newark*, the oh. *Sopranos* um, prequel? I guess I've never heard of that. Uh, yeah, uh, David Chase wrote, and I believe I think Alan Taylor directed. Um, it's, it's a, it's a prequel film to the Soprano series Excuse and, getting um, get my post-it note to raise. Yes. And actually, uh, Michael Gandolfini, James Gandolfini's son plays young Tony. Okay. Um, yeah. now don't, I think one of the big issues is the poster, you know, advertises who made Tony Soprano. <laughs> this movie is not really about Tony. Tony right. is a character in it, but it's more, uh, the, the movie is about, uh, Christopher's father, Dickie Moltisanti, you know, so he's the main character. Tony is kind of in the periphery, but...
0: Um, As a prequel, it sounds almost like they're doing a little bit like Godfather Part 2, but it's growing backwards. Yep, yep, yeah. yep.
1: It's, yeah. you know, I, 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 a lot of people were, you know, either disappointed with it or they it was about what they expected, you know, which was... Eh. And I, 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 yes, it, I, overall, it was about what I expected, but what I did appreciate about it was uh, kind of the best part and the not so best part about it, it felt like an episode of a series, you know? And, and the movie did, okay. Yeah, and the good of that is that the movie isn't in a rush to get anywhere. You're just, it's damn near a hangout movie with these characters because it's so...
0: On, it's not rushed at all. Yeah, what you're describing almost seems like when they did the X File movie. Okay. When actually this, this TV series was actually still on air hmm. and they did the X File movie and actually was part of the linear of the series. It uh, fit into the story. Yep. It could have been just an episode, but they it, made it a movie. Yeah. But yeah. you can also watch the movie and not participate in the tv show and enjoy it mm-hmm. but that's kind of mm-hmm. how you sound from what i'm listening to it kind of sounds like that yeah i, yeah. I,
1: I think so and your mileage may vary everyone's <laughs> mileage may vary there there are definitely also some things that it does that kind my of... mileage
0: really was short for walking dead <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's yeah. very interesting because yeah. i was like where would you begin with and prequels are hard because we know where you're leading up to yeah so the, yeah. the Mystery of that is kind of Wayne.
1: Have you are are you a fan of Sopranos or have you watched the series? Or? I did watch the series a couple yeah. times. Yeah, yeah,
0: but mm. kind of a lost interest when he lost big pussy, and <laughs> then it <laughs> kind of like went away for me. But when you sure. lost him, I was like uh, one of those interesting characters. That, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You need interesting characters. I think that saves a story far more than anything is a good mm. interesting character. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, Jack. So what's next for you? You got the title?
1: Uh, I I I think so. I think I have the title. I'm not even going to say the title though, because it's a great cover. I always
0: like titles with you. I know.
1: (laughs) I uh, but when I I, when I think of the words, I I, it makes me happy. So that's a good sign.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then as a writer, it's like, how can I get somebody to say the title?
1: Yeah. (laughs) 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 But I uh, like I said, I think it's a. it, to me, it makes sense. It, it's a good progression from Max Bishop. I'm really good. excited about it, and it, it's another feature. And um, yeah. I think a very good another uh, appropriate Midwest movie potentially.
0: Yeah, I did. I have to before we go. I love the intro from Max Bishop. That was a wonderful intro. Got, I got the entire language of the movie and everything, and I was hooked into it. It was a great, it's a great. I mean, great hook. But it's not also a hook hook. It's just. A wonderful, great intro to the movie. I
1: that means a lot, Nick. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for coming again.
1: I'd love to come back anytime. This is so much fun. It really is, appreciate it's it, fun. Nick.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure after we were done recording, we get to talk movies still. But yeah, that, yeah. that's us. Awesome. <laughs> Jack, as you know, it's not over till the guests say it's over. Is it over? There we go.